Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast, It Should Go Without Saying. I am your host, Andrew Lewis, and before we get started on our podcast, I just want to make a special shout-out to our regular NBA contributor, Adam Amy, who has been in the wars a bit lately, but is on the men, so all the best, Adam. Um, joining me today, because it's been a little while since we talked about footy, we're about a third of the way into the season, is our resident AFL expert Cameron McDonald. How are you doing, Cameron? I'm good, punter, and yourself? I'm well. I'm well. I'm well. It's been a an eventful day in AFL footy. It's always an eventful day when a coaching domino falls. Recording this on Thursday night, the 12th of May, and earlier today it was announced that Leon Cameron would coach GWS this weekend against Carlton for the last time. First of all, Cam, as a Collingwood supporter, are you happy that Carlton are going to cop the curse of the coaching change this week? <laughs> um, well, I, I do think they're in a bit of trouble, Carlton. I mean, they, they've, they've been playing very good footy, and um, but uh, a couple of bits of bad news in a row with uh, with Mackay out for um, with a bit of a, a surprise knee that um, snuck up on a few. And against the curse, I actually think they've been excellent to watch this year, Carlton, and um, and I I don't hate them. Such has been their mediocrity um, through the majority of my life. But um, uh, yeah, let, let's say yes for the for the benefit of uh, the Collingwood fans from the seventies who who might be tuning in. Um, yeah, I, look, there, there's every chance that Giants players who've who've just been meandering along this year just go bang. Um, one more time for Leon. Uh, what do you think? Um, well, I think it's not it's not ideal for Carlton, but um, that was just a bit of fun. Um, it's been, I guess, the writing's been on the wall uh, for most of this year. Last year seemed to be a, a bit of a second half of the season dead cap bounce. They looked, um, they didn't look in great shape halfway through the year and they sort of rallied starting off with a win against the eventual Premiers and finished the season strongly, got into that, I think they finished seventh and then knocked off Sydney in a great final down in Launceston, um, which will be remembered for Toby Green and the umpire. But I think we, I, I know that certainly I was, happy to eulogise them probably a couple of years ago, how they finished off 2020. And then last year, you're probably thinking, I was probably thinking after the way they finished off last year, that might have been more just them not dealing with, you know, being in the hub and and, and COVID and, and being on the move and all that sort of thing. And certainly that's a, that was an easy conclusion to draw after watching the Making Their Mark series on Amazon. But um, they just haven't really been able to get going this year. And for, for a team that has such a deep and talented, versatile, complementary midfield, they seem to have not just a whole bunch of really good midfielders, but you know, numerous really good midfielders of every type. Um, they just haven't been able to get anything going. They gave a you know they've lost. You know, Jeremy Cameron two years ago. They for who that who. They didn't want to lose, obviously, but last year they sort of gave away Jeremy Finlayson because he wanted to go back to South Australia. Um, who's a very handy footballer, in my opinion. Um, didn't have Toby Green for the first five weeks this this season, and I guess the knock on them has been when they don't play well, they really have a problem score putting a score on the board that can win a game. So nine years is a is a decent stint, and over the last. Six seasons since GWS made the finals for the first time. Um, only them and Geelong have won a final in five different seasons. So they're all, they've always been competitive in there and about, and you and you just don't want to play them in a final. But um, I, the question I have to ask is: Has this been brought along more quickly because of the looming presence of Alastair Clarkson on the open market for coaches? Yeah, I mean it's an interesting one because we played this game last year, mm. and for all the 
expert comments around what Alastair Clarkson might be keen to do um, at the end of this year. Um, we don't know what Alastair Clarkson wants to do. It, there's all this, it's shrouded in mystery. You know, surely he would go to Collingwood or Carlton last year, two fairly primo jobs. Um, most people were looking at Carlton's list and thinking the right coach surely um, can make this click. You know, Collingwood were sort of the only way, the only way out was up, you know, ready to rebuild. Um, and, and it was a big club and, you know, in theory, uh, an attractive job with a day cost coming through the door. He didn't want either of those jobs. And I don't know whether the list profile of the Giants is something that would appeal to him either. Um, you know, I, I think your opinion on them a couple of years back or as they lost Jeremy Cameron was shared by a lot of the yeah, that they they might be done or they might be a while. It's really what you don't want to be. And I still look at that list and go, there's there's a bit to like. Not much has gone right for them this year. But when Toby Green's on the park, he's a genuine key forward. Um, an undersized one, but very powerful. And you're right, they've got... A, an extraordinary midfield and a, and a reasonably good age profile amongst those players too. You know, Callan Ward's on the way out, but there's there's a lot of really good players that are right in the sweep. Um, so, yeah, I, you can't get inside Alastair Clarkson's head, but, um, you know, presumably it, there'll be a whole bunch of jobs that he can choose from. Um, and will he want to move up to... It's um, It's an intriguing prospect. But one thing I will say on on Leon Cameron is, you know, if you if your star forward or if you if your star player says talks to the end of the year, I mean it's it's heart and mouth stuff. But you know, I'd still think you're you're probably an eighty percent chance to keep that forward. Um, they're just trying to let their football do the talking, and you know maybe pop an extra fifty thousand dollars on their next contract. Um, if your coach is saying um, we'll put off some security until the end of this season or you know we'll see how we're going um very unlikely that that coach is going to see out the year um this mirrors Collingwood situation with Nathan Buckley last year almost perfectly um and they they they've just been chasing the season and and it was there was an inevitability um to the fact that you know if your team is struggling and if you um that's a long time and I hadn't considered the kind of um, Amazon Prime doco, but they came out of that looking terrible. Mm. Um, if they can, you know, and Cameron didn't come out of it looking terribly good. And Stephen Coniglio, at the height of his power, suddenly forgot how to play football. Um, it could be that the right person coming to that football club could turn mm. them around really quickly, um, now that I consider all of that. Um, I, I don't think... Um, Leon Cameron will be lost to football either. Um, and it's been, um, the comparison's been drawn to um, Alan Richardson and, and his great work at Melbourne this last few years. And um, there could be a role like that potentially moving forward for him. Mm. The one thing that does concern me, though, about the situation is that obviously Clarkson's available. There's nothing you can do about that. You have to deal with that situation as it is. But we've seen in the past, most famously with Carlton in 2012, um, when they made a move on a coach primarily because of who was available on the open market. Um, you know, I, it's, a, it's a different situation that Leon Cameron's in than what Brett Ratton was in at Carlton back in 2012. But I just hope that they've come to this decision because they're certain, and Leon Cameron says it's a mutual decision between him and the club, but... I hope they've come to this decision because they feel like Leon Cameron's, for one of the slightly softer term, has run his race at GWS, and they just need to then go and get the best person for the job. Um, it's an interesting situation once you get to Clarkson's stature in the game, the sort of opportunities that present themselves to you um, as a as a uh, as a second time coach. Um, when you're in his situation, which is what I think is presented to most coaches, new coaches when they enter the system, is is it is at the bottom rung of the rebuild. And we're seeing even someone who was in medium footy for such a long time, like David Noble, how he's struggling with that, um, you know, quite publicly now. 
Um, and I know that I think David King said only two coaches who got in at the rebuild stage managed to get through the whole cycle, as it were, and it was Clarkson and Hinkley. And I just, my memory tells me Ken Hinkley got into a rebuilding team and they were immediately good. So it wasn't like they were rebuilding for a lot of the time. He was coaching games. Um, this time Clarkson gets presented with this GWS situation where GWS is sort of uniquely with the talent they've got. And I think this has been a, a totally unique aspect to GWS and their creation of their history is they're sort of able to, you know, keep rebuilding on the fly because there's always another high draft pick who they can't fit into the team and who wants out. So they're able to turn that into more draft capital and sort of rinse, lather, repeat. So they're sort of at no stage have they really been able to push all the chips into the middle of the table. But there's always been that steady opportunity to replenish their chips. So yes, but an inability to draft a key forward. Or, yeah, or, and yeah, the first bloke they ever drafted was the key forward. So yeah, they've had Patton, they've had Cameron, who were both there from like the start. Jeremy Cameron, and then you yeah. know they've gone through. You know they tried to get Franklin, it didn't happen. But then they've gone through all these others, and now. You got a situation where their best marking forward is Toby Green, who's not six foot three. Mm. Um, they've got a couple of other players. You know, they 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 they're sort of soldiering on with the two ruckmen, who are both ruckmen primarily first. Um, Bruce and Flynn both have a. They're probably slightly above average in their ability to produce forward craft, but they're not like the two Ruckman at Melbourne. They're not like the two Ruckman at St Kilda. Um, they're not like the Ruckman at the West Coast have seemed to produce over and over again who have had that ability to, to sort of almost hold their position as forwards in their own right. And then you've got Riccardi who's been, you know, came burst onto the scene a few years ago and now can't seem to break into their team. So mm. it's an interesting situation and maybe – I don't know if they've got really the ability to start again completely because they, you know, it would take them a long time to bottom out just because of the residual talent in the team. So maybe the maybe the best option is maybe if someone gets forced out at the end of this year that they try and turn that not into draft capital but into, you know, identifying what they're looking for. I mean. Everyone talks about Luke Jackson and the fact that he's, you know, if he's going anywhere, he's going back to Perth. And why would you want to leave Melbourne? And, and that's right. But he's he'd be absolutely perfect for GWS. Mm. It is exactly the type of play they need. Exactly. And if if uh, if Clarkson heads there, yeah. um, I don't think he would be keen to stay in a perpetual high first round draft pick um, cycle. Think he'd be, he would be keen to to hit up the players that he felt were going to take them to the next level. Yeah, well, it's, um, it's the characteristic of the last decade of Clarkson. Really, was it that Hawthorne just kept trading out first round draft picks to bring in players? They loaded up right at the start, the first few years, three or four seasons. You know, really top end. Let's get more first round draft picks in. But after they got that core built, you know, Franklin, Ruffhead, Lewis, Ellis. Uh, Hodge, well, Hodge, yeah, Hodge was already there before Clarkson, but mm. once they got those guys in, then it was, let's go and get Sean Boo, let's go and get David Hale, let's go and get Ben McAvoy, let's go and get, you know, and some that didn't work. So it'll be interesting, and, you know, there's there's an ex-AFL coach on the GWS staff, so, you know, that's going to be a huge story, If even if James Hurd's named caretaker. That's... Mm. I don't well, they, think... I, I, I believe McVeigh is going to be named caretaker. Okay. And it's a it's a hell of a job. Lucky uh, a caretaker coach get fourteen or fifteen games. So, um, it's I feel a long like, year. I feel like Teague got pretty close to that when he took over at Carlton. It was it was I feel like it was like half the season at least. But 
and and maybe reshore. I mean, neither of those worked out very well, but mm. um, yeah, you almost want someone like Alan Richardson at the club already mm. um, to just be like, well, and and this was the I, I guess this was sort of the attractive thing for Collingwood and Robert Harvey is I guess they they had come to the conclusion that. Harvey's maybe Harvey's opportunity to be a senior coach had passed him by. And mm, there and, is something nice about that, isn't there? Someone who doesn't have eyes on the big job. Yeah, someone who's not coaching for themselves in any way, shape, or form. And Collingwood were better for a period after Harvey took over. Um, yeah, it was never gonna never gonna last because you you know, you're gonna when you're down the one end of the ladder, you start shipping blokes off to Surgery to make sure they're right for the next season, and you you get the availability issue. So, yeah, they were they were never going to be super competitive for a long time. But anyway, um, interesting times ahead at GWS, and um, good luck, Carlton, this week. Would you coach um, if you were Clarkson to finish this one off? Would you coach? Yep, GWS. Well, that's the thing. He, he was at Port Adelaide before he went to Hawthorne. Yeah, that's right. They've, so, they've so, got so a connection there, and he's Port at 05. Yeah, so he's got a relate. He's got relationships there. Um, their their list profile in terms of the type of players they have looks a lot more like the Hawthorne teams he tried to build. It seems like he'd be able to implement that. So I don't think there'd be a problem with Port Adelaide in terms of style of play. I think it'd more be, you know, Boke's probably about to fall off a cliff in terms of age, despite the fact he keeps performing. And 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 if anything, they're they're just just over the cliff. So yeah, both um, grey. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if either job is is as attractive from a list profile as the Gold Coast, but that that might the Gold Coast might be a perpetual mirage in terms of competitiveness. There there might be just other issues at play, and you know it wouldn't matter if you got nineteen fifty five Norm Smith into that joint. Who knows? But they 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 um. Gold Coast knocked off their bunnies last week, though. Yeah, that what, three wins that, that in such Sydney an, in four years. Such an anomaly. Last year, they absolutely belted them in the weirdest result for the whole year. Yep. And, um, yeah, they good on them. Mm, mm, they were. I, I mean, I, I, I've, I've seen the Gold Coast in person this year, and they were um, they were competitive. Um, speaking of the Gold Coast... Last year's winner of the AFL player rating Bradley Medal, which you could only hear about here on It Should Go Without Saying, um, was Took Miller. And he's just put together back-to-back best on grounds to take the lead after eight games. Is um, that right? Because the public commentary would suggest he was down on his best. But yeah. he destroyed Collingwood. He yeah, destroyed so us. That was round five, wasn't it? Uh, play- was it or? I think when they played you guys. has four bit. Uh, oh, round seven. Mm. Um, yeah, best on in rounds one, five, seven, and eight. Mm. So had, had got best on the play rating against us, despite the fact they they got beat. Um, rest of the top ten at the moment: Cripps, McRae, and Oliver on ten. I had the whatever the opposite of pleasure is of watching Clayton Oliver destroy my team on the weekend. Um, then Dugowie. Uh, Heaney, who's a long-time good piler, Lockie Neal, Petrarca, Tex Walker, who the player rating loves. So, missed the the first three games, then put back-to-back best dons on. And Jack Crisp, um, who are like now in the top 10 in consecutive games played all-time in the league. Yeah, that's that's an extraordinary effort. And he's never missed for Collingwood, which is probably... Even more extraordinary. Never missed for Collingwood. He was the steak knives in the original Dane Beams deal, wasn't he? And he's been Mr. Reliable ever since. Probably, and, he, and, and, and from what I've seen him this year, he's probably playing his best footy because he's gone back into the midfield. So after he's spending a very, lot of time a half back. Very, very good. And for the two of them, to the two Collingwood players there to be in the top 10 is, um, it's a credit to, uh, McRae and what he's brought, um, but yeah, that, I mean, Chris won the BNF last year. Dugowie sort of rattled home into second, so 
um, yeah, they're, they've sort of they're pretty firmly entrenched at the top of the tree. It's a handy top ten, I think. Uh, Tex Walker was the only name that leapt out at me. Um, and oh, look, I'm happy for Took Miller, but um, Patrick Cripps would be nearly unbackable with what he's doing. It is it is something to behold in terms of the real ground life. I think you and I are of the opinion that we both like to see to get a bit of recognition from one of those awards. And um, the the ratings, player ratings, just love him. He's a different type of midfielder. He's um, he's the ultimate link man, really, and he's very good at it. Um, he is, and he's genuine two way runner. Like that's I don't know what they take into account, but he's the guy that's going just as hard the other way. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, continuing my un, unrivaled record of quality segue, um, a few years ago, the Gold Coast were going really even more poorly than they are now, um, and they got a priority pick. Um, I'm on an island when it comes to priority picks, as in I think their abolition, or at least their relegation to at the AFL, discretion in matters of what they deem to be extraordinary circumstances was a mistake. Um, I think the the late nineties and the early two thousands when they when they automatically handed out priority picks if you won fewer than five games um, led to a unrivaled era of uh, equalisation and ever and, and later rotation. Um, but. There was, a, there was an outcry about tanking and the AFL, in my opinion, overreacted and got rid of them. I mean, North Melbourne have been seriously uncompetitive this season. They've won one game against the Waffle All-Stars in round two, otherwise known as the West Coast Eagles. And they, I mean, they played a pretty depleted Fremantle side last week at Perth and kicked three goals, four goals. I mean, the two bottom sides this year are if, just if it, awful. Yeah, if it, you know, West Coast won a premiership four years ago, and they're West Coast. If any team's built organisationally and financially to withstand a period of uh, non-competitiveness, it's West Coast. And also, once a team like West Coast, particularly West Coast, becomes somewhat competitive, that home ground advantage kicks in and what would be a six or seven win team if they were Victorian suddenly becomes a nine or ten win team because they win a couple of extra games in Perth thanks to the home ground advantage. But mm. but surely this North Melbourne team warrants a like top off first round uh, priority pick. I didn't I didn't see them being this bad this year. They are, you know, I'm I'm, I, you know, from a selfish point of view, I'm hoping that it lasts for another month because we've got them in a few weeks and. My our boots need filling, but um, they're just—it's just not good for the competition. The other thing about a priority pick is now that there's ten teams, now that you're on the bottom, you're 18th. You're not 16th. You're even further away from finals than you were before. If anything, um, a priority pick should be more of a focus if a team is down that end of the ladder for a sustained period of time. And this is North Melbourne's third year being bottom two or three. But that is when that is when the AFL team put their hand up and say this is an extraordinary case. Um, you'd have to expect the noise will increase as the year goes on, and um, you know North will put their hand up for one because they need everything they can get. Um, you know, we we did we 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 sat there and we said, "Geez, you'd rather be North Melbourne than a couple of the other teams that are sort of." down that end of the ladder. Well, I think we, we referenced um, we referenced West Coast and we referenced a couple of sides a couple of sides that looked like they would be in for a period of sustained hurt, but that North Melbourne might have come through the worst of it. Mm. Um, that they had the the right structure in place and the coaching in place and they had Horn Francis who some godfather offers had come for that pick one um, from Richmond and the Crows who um, I mean, he look, he does look a very good and very competitive player. But um, ju- just right now, I don't know whether Richmond or Adelaide 
would be giving up the players that they got with those picks. Both of both of whom, Rochelle and Gibkus, are both looking very strong. Plus the other picks they were they were rumored to be giving up to get Horn Francis. Um, so yeah, I mean I've segued myself, but um, that that's an interesting one to press pause on just at the moment. Um, but yeah, like there, there's Horn Francis and there's um, Davis Uniac running around and um, Taron Thomas and a couple of key forward pillars that look okay, you know, Zerhar and Larky and um, Zebel reinventing himself down back and um, Ben Mackay, who who looks every bit like a player who could be all Australian in the in the coming years. And the, the pieces seem to be there. Um, so, yeah, there's more, there's more going on. And and the messaging out there, I mean, yeah, they do feel like they're imploding at the moment. It's hard to see where they're going to get a response from um, when when Noble's having to apologise for sprays that you'd have to think he's within his rights to give. Um, priority, I don't know. I'd, I'd need to do more research on the priority picks because it feels like North's tracking for one. But um, some of those sides that bounced too quickly once they got them, I don't know whether that was because of the priority pick or whether that t- that meant that a team that was average but played poorly and sent blokes away for surgery to try and nab that priority pick suddenly became too good overnight. Um, you could make a case that, you know, even even in your spiel about West Coast that, um, you know, they, they won a wooden spoon and made a preliminary final the following year is, is, is my memory, um, which just meant that they weren't as bad as they would be the way that I'd see it. Fair enough. Um, I think that was 2010-11, mm. if my memory serves. I'm just going to refresh my memory thanks to AFL tables. Yes, West Coast, bottom by two games in 2010. Two games clear on the bottom of the ladder. Um, and the next year, um, eight goals away from a grand final. So, um, lost to Geelong in the prelim. Um, what was the other one I was thinking of? Uh, one closer to home. Um, yeah. And that was Collingwood 15th in 2005 with five, five wins. Yep. And the next year... Fifth, although they got picked off by the Bulldogs in that first final. Mm, um, but but they did so with a with a one Penderbury and one Thomas on the list. Yeah, in, in Sky Rocket, uh, Port Adel- uh, North Melbourne in more friendly cr- climbs this weekend. Dan and Hobart versus Port Adelaide the week after is Melbourne at the Docklands and. Well, I think we a few of us thought that Brisbane were going to give the record score a shake this weekend against West Coast. Just passed, but that didn't happen. But been a little betting strategy of mine, responsibly, but to um <laughs> to back the team playing against West Coast to win by sixty plus. It's uh, yeah. it's come up quite a few times. That'd be one of those ones where you just have to ride the because you're not going to win most times. You're not going to win every week, but. You'll end up, and you might not. You might not win fifty percent of the week, but it might be paying better than two to one. So I think people are catching on now. People are catching on, but I mean, I, I did it round one. Gold Coast was paying sixteen dollars, and they should have done it too. West Coast kicked the first five goals of the game, and then uh, Gold Coast just just couldn't quite bury them. But the expected scores had them over ten goals, and um, and then it's just. Yeah, one week to the next, but a couple of nice collects. What's Swannies was paying 11s. What's I've seen that expected score around, um, which I think is a statistic inspired by expected goals in soccer. Um, mm. What's what's the expected score if you kick four goals 18 in a game of footy? <laughs> yeah, well, that's, uh, that was a tough watch. It was, and it's going to be a tough watch in years to come because um, St Kilda's not that special and someone's got to play up there. So, you know, North Melbourne play down in Hobart and Hawthorne play in Launceston and the Bulldogs play up here in the central highlands of Victoria and Ballarat and Melbourne play the Northern Territory. And so you're not going to be one of the big clubs. Um, 
it's pretty ridiculous to be like, well, don't sell a game. I thought I started out as two St Kilda members and I made three more. So I've done my bit to get people to the footy. Um, <laughs> you get 35,000, 40,000 of the Docklands every week, then maybe you won't have to play a game in Kent. So they could, they could schedule it for an afternoon in July rather than a night, a night in April. Thank um, you. That's the biggest issue. That is clearly the biggest issue. It, like. That, that was clearly the worst game of football, and I'm I I am not a I'm not a, a purist in that sense of the word. I, I don't um I don't long for the muddy old days. Oh, wet weather <laughs> footy isn't it great? No, it's it's awful. Um, it's like it's like they're playing football with a plastic football on two hundred meters of plastic tarp, covered <laughs> with soapy water made from Omo, and it's awful to watch. It's uh, if we had won by three goals, which would have been the equivalent of winning by a hundred points in any other sort of conditions, I still would never have watched the game again or any highlight mm. from it. Um, I'm more likely to watch parts of the 2009 grand final than I will if I watch another minute of that game. Uh, um, I, that's that's not false, or overblown hyperbole, ladies and gentlemen. Um, that was shocking, but and you can see why. Some St Kilda supporters have, have have had enough, and it's not it's not. At some point, the scales tip in favour of you know, like if 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 the Saints happen to put a few losses together, and they just happen to run into Melbourne the week after they get back from Cairns, which compounds the issue. You know, you're unlikely to win that game, but you want a good run up at it, and you want to be six and one when you play them. So, you know, a, a, a bad game. In-game momentum is massive in footy at the moment, and in-season momentum is equally massive. Um, so, yeah, I think if you drop one, you're, you're sort of susceptible to drop another, and the Saints have sort of flirted with form a little bit. Fair enough. We're, everything's all right. They were playing Geelong this week, and the last time at the Docklands, the last time we played Geelong at the Docklands, we were much more accurate. We can kick 4-18, we kick 5-17. So everything... <laughs> Is fine. Something happened in that uh, Cairns game that I just want to touch on because I think it was the topic de jour a few weeks ago and we haven't had the opportunity to speak since then. Um, but um, Daniel McKenzie suggested to the umpire that uh, the ball had touched the ground or that um, or something along those lines. And um, he wasn't demonstrative. He was you know, reasonable in a matter-of-fact way saying what he thought had happened and 50 metres had turned a, uh, you know, in the absolute worst area of the ground, you get a 50-metre penalty between 40 and 90 metres out from goal. That's where you don't want to give him a 50-metre penalty because it turns, it just it, it massively, by a fact, by an exponential factor, increases the chance of a score. But I, I think this is, there's a lot wrong with what the AFL do with umpiring, and this isn't making things better. The the AFL has consistently made the game more difficult to umpire over the last 20 years in particular, asking the umpires to interpret intent more and more often. Um, the only rule that they introduced, controversial rule they introduced to simplify the game to umpire, which was the hands and back rule, they, they, um, they reversed. Re- reversed. Not everyone was a fan, and I understand that. And I probably wasn't a huge fan of it in some aspects, but it did, you know, it, it made it easy because the umpires just had to made it easier for them just adjudicating what they saw. Um, you see your hand in the back, and you give a free kick. Um, and now we've got this dissent rule, and I think people don't realise that dissent has a very clear description that allows no wriggle room and that is dissent means you differ of opinion you have a difference of opinion you you, you know you you vote you know you vocalize that you see things differently so if there's any sort of indication from anyone that to an umpire that they you think that they that a different decision should have been made that's dissent and therefore potentially depending on how the umpire feels Penal, you know, penalizes. You know, it is able to be penalized with a fifty-meter penalty. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it was a tough uh, period of football to watch, um, and to hear 
I mean, yeah, I haven't quite come up with an opinion on this yet because then to hear the AFL and um and and Brad Scott sort of come out and say, you know, we're just getting rid of these gestures altogether if we can help it, um, and it's to do with um and and you know the umpire abuse, uh, you know, we're trying to get that out of the game and um. It's, but I mean, yeah, it's very difficult because then they they cover up a report about uh, abuse for young female umpires and female umpires in general, and you know there, there are just so many problems when it comes to this um, particular subject. Um, but it, it didn't take much for for any of those sort of disagreements to just be put to bed, and for the the common action to be, you know, the bloke on the mark with his hands up on his head just exhaling, just like serenity now type of action is, is what you're seeing more often than not at the moment. Um, so the the sort of extravagant stuff has been put away really quickly. You're just, you're not seeing it. And it, mm. it took a couple of mistakes. Like the McKenzie one was a mistake. The Harris Andrews one, nobody has an issue with what he did. Um, but players are pretty quick and they adapt do the best with the with the rules as they are so the in in many ways the crackdown worked and maybe that will lead to some some better participation for junior umpires and you know we'll get some more umpires making the grade the trouble is if you're if you're upset with a decision on the weekend you're you're upset with the umpires in the crowd you're not upset with the afl necessarily um or the majority aren't you know you, you just still still hear a bunch of people calling um you know umpires horrible names in the crowd you're not you're not there going oh they've cooked the rules and the umpires don't get them anymore or whatever it's the abuse is still hurled well, at the umpire i think for 95 percent of people who are at the footy um the afl and the umpires are one and the same so they are they are on the field the personification of the league mm. so and you know it's hard to yell at someone who you don't know is there. So, or, or damn you, uh, you know, amorphous organization. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, you stupid, you know, umpire, go and learn how to do your job, number 13 or whatever. Um, is it's, it's simpler. It's more straightforward. <laughs> You must have been at the same game that I was. Zach <laughs> <like> Sledge. <laughs> <laughs> Might have, yeah, it must have been me. Um, you imagine that's how Melbourne supporters criticise the umpires, you know, in the same way they support their play. You know, well done, number 24. Uh, <laughs> you're a disgrace, umpire number 608. Um, Don't knock the Melbourne supporters at the moment. They know they exactly are. who their players are. They are. They're there with their charcuterie boards and their. <laughs> That was that was my highlight of last year's grand final day. I was driving down to Apollo Bay because living in regional Victoria, I was able to leave my house, and um, I decided to well, to tune into what I think ended up being the last uh, episode of the Could Have Been Champions on ABC Radio because they've moved on to another station, um, and I got to hear the Greg Champion uh, Melbourne song. The, uh, to the tune of Kokomo, I got prosciutto and prosecco, and oh, that that was <laughs> it was magnificent. I know you've got a soft spot for the could have oh, been. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. um, driving through Victoria during the through the Western District, um, listening to that was was good fun. And they are they're an institution. I think they're on three MP or something like that now, but they're still around. They're still going strong. Um, Speaking of the Ds, because Grand Final Day was a pretty good day for them, um, to put it mildly, <laughs> is, is this sustainable? Um, we've seen a few teams shaped like this in the last twenty years. Um, the two that the, the, there are there are three that pop into my mind without too much research. Um, and now that I think about it, there's probably four, but. Um, in terms of in terms of my memory, the first half of the year, I'll just I'll name the two I'm pretty sure on. That is Geelong 2008 and Collingwood 2011. Mm. Um, 
both coming off a premiership and both just seeming invincible. Um, and then, you know, falling at the last hurdle. Collingwood obviously had a specific Achilles heel in that year. Um, but, to and to a lesser extent, my memory tells me Richmond in 2018, but yeah, also Richmond, Adelaide, Adelaide in 2006. Teams that just looked impenetrable for long periods of time, just mm. not getting to the finishing line. And, you know, I... I I was upset with parts of the game on the weekend, but I wasn't unhappy after the game and for probably 30 seconds. Once once we'd fought our way back into the game, um, it didn't turn into an absolute 10, 11-goal flogging. I was pretty satisfied um, because I know what I'd rather beat Melbourne. Um, so my question is, I mean, we've got this – Melbourne were the first team in a while – and there haven't been many teams to do it recently, finished top of the ladder and win the premiership. They finished top of the ladder with a kick after the siren. But also, they fit the profile that Richmond did in 2017 and Richmond did in 2019. And that is a team that gets super hot sort of two-thirds of the way through the home and away season and then doesn't lose a game for the rest of the season. Mm. Now, they come out and they won eight in a row. Uh... They've got West Coast and North Melbourne the next two weeks. <laughs> I mean, that's just that's they have that's just the AFL fixture having a laugh. So they're going to be ten and zero um, before they play Fremantle, which is first versus second on the ladder at the moment. So there's not much you can do about um, about peaking too early or, or being. You can't deliberately flirt with your form, but should we read too much into Melbourne's? Should we? Should our opinion of Melbourne be the same if they were six and two right now compared to eight and zero? Oh, I don't know. I think it could be could be the rest of us clutching its straws a little bit because you know prior to the year we thought it, it was Melbourne daylight, mm. um, and they've done nothing. To dispel that, that that's that's what it looks like. And I, I'm also, I'm a Melbourne supporter. I'm really comfortable with the way that they're doing it because they appear to be playing a brand of football that's very home and away friendly. That is, um, you know, it, it, it's that I think they'll be able to step their defensive pressure up uh, a cog or two when the whips are cracking. Um, they haven't. Like that, their key players have been there, but they've they've been some others that have have missed periods of football, and um, you know they've they've messed around with Tom McDonald back in defence at various times, and you know Christian Salem's not there, and um, there's been you know there, there's been some personnel stuff that they're just working their way through beautifully, um, you know, and as you put it before the year, you know there, there's a um, bit of a question mark hanging over Max Gorn this next couple of weeks, but beautiful. Rest him. Play, well, play be, Jackson. He's playing oh, apparently yeah. this week. So Yeah, I saw that. If he was a laid out, um, if, if he could sort of have a lovely little rest and then prepare for Sean Darcy. They're, they're um, playing at Perth. I don't know why you'd get him on the plane, personally. But, yeah, you know, well, good, but Goodwin, think... Goodwin's told the media today he's playing, so... I don't it's, think uh, I'm not sure he's their best ruckman anymore. I know that, that sounds ridiculous, um, and he's still one of their best three or four players. But I think his strength is around the ground more than they lost the hitouts on Sat on Sunday. They lost the hitouts to advantage. They lost centre clearances. I think, although there's there's an argument made about quality off centre clearance, um, and none of that mattered. But I just think. Yeah, I think Gorn will move is moving into a state a part of his career where 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 he's going to be valuable is more like what he did against Geelong in the prelim last year. Mm. Where yeah, goal kicker and he's kicking them from outside fifty like that. We we all sort of our head spun around when he did it in that you know from fifty five on the run against Geelong, but since then you know once every couple of weeks he's he's uh, taking a catch around fifty out and it's sailing through. 
and you can sort of back him from that range. He's he's added a couple of strings to his bow. I'm the best ruck in the comp. I, I think, again, when the whips are cracking, that he's going to have another level he can go to. And it's so great that they can share all of those roles at the minute. And um, they can sort of go at half rat power in a way uh, and, and just keep teams at arm's length. You know, they're not they're not burying sides. They're not doing that thing. Collingwood um, 2011 was uh, was frightening. Every week, like our percentage was insane before we got tailed up by Geelong in round 22, but we were just hammering sides. There was very few margins that were close in that home and away season. And I don't know, I think we, we, we arguably got it. And, and as you say, there was just that one um, nemesis that, you know, that we never beat for the year. Um, Richmond, I mean, work in that prelim final. They'll tell you that they were. Um, but, the, you know, there, there's also, like, your argument about, you know, peaking too early, Richmond's the perfect example because their model was never being the best home and away side, nor was Brisbane's um, back in their era of dominance. It was, um, you know, get it done and then charge home in the in the back half of the year. I think yeah. you could argue that with Melbourne, like they've got some improvement in them, but they're way too good for everyone. Hmm. Um, my 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 gut feel is that like this is the best chance the teams had to be undefeated since um, since Essendon, um, who obviously didn't manage that, but were a very dominant side that year. Um, I think there's a bigger space than I thought there was before round one. Um, because I can see the natural improvement in this side heading into the finals. And I still think that three of the best four or five players in the comp are all lining up in the centre square for Melbourne on grand final day. So good luck. Just on the undefeated thing, Melbourne have got to go to Perth to play Frio four weeks before the end of the season. Their last game is in Brisbane against the Lions. So they get to 21 and 1, and they're going to play Brisbane in Brisbane in the last game of the season to finish the undefeated season. That will be, that'll give St Kilda Geelong 09 a shake in terms of biggest home and away game ever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there will be, there will be someone in the punditry will come out with a hot take that the D's should chuck the game. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I'm not going to mention any names, but their initials might be Cane Corns. <laughs> and yeah. someone will come up with that. Um, Gorn secured the minor premiership with a kick after the siren against Geelong, wasn't it? Was that down at Kavinia? Yeah. It was another cracking game. Um, so they, they yeah, don't it was mind down at Yeah, They were, just just for those playing at home, Collingwood's percentage after round twenty three in two thousand was a twenty four round season because it was a it was a it was a buy season because Gold Coast were in the competition. GWS weren't was one hundred and eighty one point seven, and the little known fact about that round twenty four game, and I'd forgotten this, and I was at the game, is that Collingwood were in front of Geelong at quarter time, <laughs> then lost the game by ninety six points. Yeah. Yeah, that really ruined our percentage. But at that point, <laughs> well, it that... went down to 167.7. Um, I still say the 2011 Grand Finals, probably, in terms of both teams putting together a, a quality of football as good as I've ever seen. Um, yeah, you just but... forget. I mean, you, uh, every time I think about that game, it's, it's pretty brutal to think about. But the first half performance is just one of those ones where a, a bloke's grown wings for... for a half a footy. He was absolutely extraordinary that day, and we ran out of puff. But um, yeah, I was I was on fire at half time. Two two pies left from that team, Pendlebury and Sidebottom. Yeah, that'd that'd be about it, and and only it's... just two. Pendlebury's having a very good year, but um, Sidey after one or two class games to kick things off with um, flies, showing us more since the um since the in his jocks were, in Williamstown well, incident sort of put an end to his good footy. One of those games was against us early in the season in round one. And Sidebottom's side jogging down the wing in the third quarter. And one of the midfielders, he, he's just sort of running past the stoppage. And I'm just like, go to Sidebottom. Go to Sidebottom. Sidebottom's going to get the ball and kick the goal. 
And there's about six or seven disposals right before he just gets it and puts it across his boot. And I'm just like, I said that was going to happen. Didn't you hear me? He was always going to get the ball and kick the goal. <laughs> he was he was very good in round one, and I was I, I thought he was back. In fact, he was pretty good in round two um, as we towed up the Crows. But, um, yeah, I, I worry a little bit about whether it's that he's he's come back to the pack a little bit from an endurance point of view or or um, what the issue is, whether it's around motivation or, yeah, I, I'm not sure. It appears the end is coming quicker for Sidey than um, for the great man Pendlebury who turned Anzac Day off his own boot. Pendlebury, who is in the top 20 in the AFL player rating Brownlow at the moment on six mm. votes. So three Collingwood players in the top 20. Good going. Having a lovely year, Pendlebury. Having a lovely year. I'm ha- there's two St Kilda players in the top 22, so I'm happy with that. Can um, I, is, is he? Yep. Sinclair and Steele are the two in the top 20. So He was the one in round one, not to not to chat about the Saints for too long, but he was the one that I really noticed in round one for the Saints, along with Jack Hayes, obviously. But um, he's putting together oh, that a was, very good that year, was, Sinclair, um, and he's, he's uh, arrived, I think. He's a very good player. That was a that was a crappy injury. Um, yeah, it was. It was. I don't know if he, he had not done his knee, he would have played. Yeah, he's a great find, and they're going to get him another contract, so he'll be around. But um, the word was that uh, they knew a week after he turned up, even before he got a spot on the list officially or anything like that, but a week after he turned up, they knew he was playing round one. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, he's exciting. He got the he got the player rating Brownlow chocolates. I think he's still rated like the eighth best key forward in the competition this season, according to <laughs> which is, you know, a little ridiculous. But um yeah, he got the three votes in that game. The goey two Sinclair one. Mm. Anyway, um we should do this again in a roughly the same amount of time when we're two thirds of the way through the season, unless some other dramatic news happens. Um I don't know if there's another coach going or anything like that, but it is always a pleasure, Cameron. Likewise, mate. And we, we fitted in. That was that was like speed podcasting. Well under the hour. <laughs> this is it's, By our standards. <laughs> it, it's digestible. So, um, Cameron, thanks as always, and we will catch you next time on the podcast. It should go without saying. See you later.